the most unlikely leader featuring Roger Smith. The path to success can appear unlikely at times. How do we maintain hope when we are surrounded by darkness? How does someone go from being homeless and struggling with addiction to CEO? Roger Smith, author of The Most Unlikely Leader, shares about what he learned through his struggles with substance use, what led to his recovery, insights into the world of insurance, and how we can apply those ideas to light the pathway of success. Thank you listeners for tuning into the trailer for Talking Addiction and Recovery podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier, and this podcast is a follow-up to the book I wrote called Addiction and Recovery. I am an independent clinical supervisor, clinical substance abuse counselor, and licensed professional counselor in the state of Wisconsin. In this profession, the opportunity to learn and become educated is never short, and the ongoing venture of gaining wisdom to help others is definitely a passion I possess. This is where I get to share that information with you and invite guests to share their experience and work. In this podcast, we discuss issues related to addiction, recovery, mental health, counseling, treatment, and several other areas. We discuss alcohol, drugs, gambling, gaming, pornography, and other behaviors that impacts the lives of people I work with, the individuals in their lives, and the community as well. Listen as we talk about these issues because when we don't talk about them and the silence grows, the worse it becomes. Talking about them continues to bring them into the light, which is our best way of addressing these issues and ultimately helping those who are impacted. You can find the podcast on social media with Instagram at Talking Addiction and Recovery and Facebook page with Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. You can send emails to ask questions, provide feedback, or inquire about being a guest at TalkingAddictionAndRecovery at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast and with every episode you listen to, I hope you walk away learning something. Roger Smith is the past CEO of American Income Life Insurance Company, National Income Life Insurance Company, and Liberty National Life Insurance Company. He is the recipient of several awards and publications. He is a father of five adult children, proud grandfather, and currently resides in Florida with his wife and his two dogs. He is the author of The Most Unlikely Leader, A Light Into the Darkness, What led business giant Roger Smith from the hopelessness of addiction to personal and professional success. Welcome, Roger Smith, to Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Thank you for having me on your show, Andrew. Appreciate it. Yeah, you are the author of The Most Unlikely Leader, An Unbelievable Journey from GED to CEO. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, the byline. <laughs> yeah, there's a... I'm. I'm really interested to talk about your book because I've read like quite a bit of of books, people detailing their their life with with addiction, and yours stood out in a quite quite a, a different few areas when I started reading it. So I'm actually really excited to kind of talk to you about like where where the idea came from and 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 where it's going. And part of where I want to start with is. It was nothing like I ever read because there was so much that you talk about with like the work that you do. And I, I knew like nothing about that. So here I'm kind of like learning about something that I had like no clue about. And you spent a lot of time talking about the work that you did. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a juggle, you know, because, you know, it's a memoir but it's also the story of my successes and failures. And, and to kind of understand that you got to understand a little bit of, of the business itself. And, and the trick was, uh, you know, not getting too far in the, in the weeds where I'd end up losing people, you know, because they don't understand the business. But I do think that, that, you know, some of the, the things I talked about in leadership and, and mentors and that type of stuff, you know, I think that carries on into everyday life. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not strictly the insurance business. It's, it's anything. It could be, you know, you volunteering someplace. It's, it, 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 it moves everywhere. So I was hoping those principles would, would move across those lines. Yeah. And part of it was, as I was reading chapter to chapter, it's kind of like, where in the U.S. are you? Because you identified that. <laughs> so it's like Carmen San Diego, like was going out of my mind of like, where, where were you headed and what was going on? But did that, I'm just curious, did, 
did the moving around and the the traveling a lot did that have a big impact in your in your story in your life because there was so much of that since you were young to to you know still i imagine yeah. there, there was a lot of travel in yeah. your life so you know part of that was was just the addiction doing its thing you know in other words i was really good at building up an operation you know recruiting sales people building the deal but because of the addiction, it was really hard to sustain it. And so what would happen is I'd build something up and then kind of self-destruct and then move someplace else, build it up, self-destruct. And, you know, and that kept on going on for, 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 for many, many years. And you know, you- even, though I, even though I did moving, some moving after I got sober, uh, it, it really was the MO when I was an addict. And when you, when you were in like the midst of like that cycle that you talk about, were you, when you would, when things would build up and then fall down again, you'd go somewhere else. Did you think that this would be different this time? Were you almost anticipating things to fall apart? Like where was your awareness then? And then looking back on it now, when you wrote the book, where, where is it? Yeah. Well, my awareness then was, you know, that I would hope that that this time it was going to work out. And this time I could, you know, keep my addiction under control. And this time, you know, and on and on and on. You know, looking back after, you know, writing this book, you know, I look back and said, there's no way. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I was a functioning addict and I was a functioning addict for 20 years. I wish I had hit bottom before. I wish I wasn't good at doing my work and at the addiction, you know, but but that's not the way it worked out. So, you know, I stayed an addict for a long time. And and also I think that, you know, deep, deep you have a picture of yourself, one that that nobody knows, you know, they, that you don't share. It's just your personal picture of yourself. And that, even though I was having great success, that personal picture of myself was of, you know, a homeless drug addict on the street. You know, nobody would know that looking and seeing what I was doing, but that was the picture. And, and until I got sober and until that picture changed, um, you know, it, I was doomed to just keep on repeating and repeating and repeating. And that you bring up a good point with the, like some people, the idea of like an addict or someone who's got like a problem with a substance use or even someone that uses substances, like the, the stigma attached to that is like they're homeless. They're like under a bridge, like they're, they can't, they can't work. They can't maintain anything because addiction just, um, destroys everything right and right and the one of the things that stood out from your story compared to other books i've read is other books where people have written memoirs like the whole thing is filled with like their 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 drug use the stories about it you know just filled with how bad things got and then all of a sudden you know like that that moment right. happened your book wasn't really written that way you didn't spend the whole time writing about the using and, and things like that, you did describe a lot of like your successes, like what you're able to, to function and do. That's not normal in a lot of like addiction memoirs. Yeah. You know, that, that whole homeless and, you know, drug, that was, that was that picture of me at 15 (laughs) later on. Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't that picture. And I guess what, what was really important to me in writing, you know, the most unlikely leader was that I wanted people to understand that, that no matter what their background is, no matter, you know, where they are in life, no matter if the cards are stacked against you, you know, all of that, 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 you know, you could persevere and you could overcome these obstacles in life and, and still become successful. You know, if you, if you 
did certain things and took certain steps and changed that picture. And, you know, I tell people, uh, Andrew, I said that, you know, there's a lot of energy, negative energy that goes into being an addict. I mean, you spent a lot of time covering your ass. And, and, And when you get clean, if you could take that energy, it's the same energy. It's just if you can turn it from a negative into a positive and start moving in a positive direction, it, it really is amazing of where you could go. So sometimes when you're stuck in that negative, you know, you can't you can't see it. You can't see, you know, how's my life going to get any better? What's even if I get clean, is it really going to make a difference? And the answer is, yeah, it is. I mean, you're going to have to change a lot. You know, I I had all the habits of an addict for multiple years, right? So it's not like it's not like oh I'm clean and then everything's good. You know, it's like okay, I better change everything. I think there's a part in the book where I say when I got clean, um, every every habit I did, I would do the opposite. So for example, if I put on my right shoe first. Before I was going to put my left shoe on first. Yeah, I remember you know? reading that. Like, it's like if all these things got me to who I was, and I don't want to be who I was, then I better change up even the smallest of things so that I'm not that I'm not acting as that person who I was, but but acting as who I want to be. That reminds me of a client I had who um, struggled with cocaine, and he always told me like. If he backed out of his driveway and went left, he was he was going to get cocaine. That's like that's that's <laughs> where that's where he was gonna go if he always yeah. went left. And then after a while, he was like, I had to start like going right. I had right. to like yeah. make, make that conscious effort to go right. Even even though I know I can just go left, like turning right was like a big difference maker for him to start yeah. like making change. And that reminds yeah. me of like what you're talking about with like, if I put my shoe on the right way, this I'm gonna put on the left one doing that. So that's, and that's, and yeah. that's and I, the reason why I like that too, is that those are changes that can happen very quickly. You know, those don't have to be like a, a miracle, like awe inspiring event to be like, now right. I like, like a drama, um, like a very dramatic, like, right. An epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that to come into someone's life to make change. Like something simple as like turning right out of the driveway, like can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I did end up moving, you know, once I got sober, uh, um, again, um, and just because there were so many temptations that I just, you know, everywhere I went, there were my the drug dealers were calling me. I mean, it was just, it was super, super hard. And I was doing everything, but I just thought, you know what? If there's an opportunity that I can take that's somewhere else, you know, and get me out of this environment, then, then, then I want to do it. And, yeah. and I did. And that was, you know, for me, that was very helpful. It's not, not everybody can do that, but, but for me, it was helpful. But something else must've also changed too. Cause like we've talked about already, you've moved around before you've, you've been to different places and that didn't necessarily work, but there was a time where like that, that did help and that did work. Well, but, but by that point I had just gotten out of rehab. So, so I went into rehab and, you know, in the 90 meetings, 90 days, I was, you know, uh, talking at hospitals, I was keeping everything right up front in my head of where I was and that, that monster I was at the, at the very end. So it's not like, okay, I can, I moved and continued my habits. It was, I moved and now I was clean. And, and for me, it was, you know, uh, it was starting off, you know, as, as a sober person which was a big difference, but, but I didn't, it wouldn't have been necessary, you know, 
I just felt it was best for me. I I still felt I was in a weakened state stage and and uh, I just needed to get away as much as I could. I want to bring it back to some of the the work focus because that was that was such a really big part of like the the story as well. And mm-hmm. you talked about like um working your way I, I think there was like something about like a list that gets published of of yeah. you were, that was kind of like your your ladder of people you were and you're able to to reach some uh, a lot of those successes and to achieve that was there a part yeah. of you that that was hoping those milestones were gonna make the change or that those accomplishments were gonna be what led to now I've got this and I don't need the drugs anymore. Was there any connection with any of that type of stuff? You know, um, you know, it's funny you said that because yeah, I used, there was a monthly magazine that came out from the company and, and it would list like the top 50 producers. And, and when my name come up, came up like 50 at the bottom, I went, Oh my goodness. And pasted it on the mirror and like, you know, said, okay, this person ahead of me, that's who I'm going after. And, you know, and it worked that way all the way till I was the number one salesperson. I, I do think that, I do think that in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, the more success I had, that the more self-esteem I would have, the more confidence I would have, and it would be easier for me to, to get away from my addiction. The reality of it is, is the more successful I had, the more money I had, and the more money I could pour into my addiction, you know, but, but yeah, I really did think that as I became more successful and, you know, had started to build up self, self-esteem and confidence that, that the addiction would, you know, would, I don't know what I thought, go to the side, you know, get in the background. I don't know, <laughs> but, but it did it. It just thrived and thrived. <laughs> And one thing you also detailed quite a bit was sometimes the the relationships you had, not just in your life, but in your work as well. You know, you talked about mm-hmm. relationships with customers, relationships with people that you worked with sometimes when things um, went well, sometimes when things hit the fan, like there, there was quite a bit of uh, discussion that you wanted to write about as far as some of the relationships with people in your life, even work related. Do you, do you notice anything about the role relationships had in your life throughout work and, and even in your using days and your recovery now? I mean, listen, I, I'm a huge believer in mentors. I mean, huge. I, and, and, and I believe in the power of multiple mentors, you know, not just one, but, but, but multiple. And I, I was very fortunate. I, I I had three major mentors in my life. And, you know, my stepfather who brought me into the insurance business, who, you know, definitely we had conflict in our relationships, but, you know, taught me about sales and taught me about running a sales organization. And then, the, you know, the founder of the company who, who taught me about patience and, and uh, you know, putting back to the, into the community and, um, the uh, the CEO of the holding company, who I wish I had had this 30 years earlier, but he said to me, you know, Roger, nothing's as good as it seems and nothing's as bad as it seems. And my life was just peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And, and I wish I had understood that, that, you know, listen, when you're on one of those real highs, an obstacle is going to come. <laughs> it is. It's going to knock you off of that. And if you're in one of those real lows, you know, this too shall pass. And, and gosh, life would have been so much easier if I had been able to kind of do it on a more even keel. You know, he also said, listen, Roger, you know, when you're leading people, you got, don't, don't react, respond to the situation. And, and I was always like putting out fires versus, you know, just sit back, think about it give a logical answer, think out a logical solution. So, so I had great mentors in my life, but I would stress to your audience that, 
this is your responsibility. It's it's your responsibility to, to to search out these people. Same way it'd be your responsibility to search out a sponsor, right? If that was it, it's your responsibility to look for these mentors because they have wisdom. They have uh, they can teach you things. And 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 then you know what? Once you have that knowledge, then you have that responsibility to teach other people the things and and you know and help other people out. It's kind of what the 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 mission of the book was, you know, to hopefully inspire and and motivate people that that you know may just be stuck in their life. Yeah, the two things that you mentioned about there's nothing is as good as it seems and nothing is as bad as it seems, and respond, don't react. Yeah, those are two yeah. things I definitely highlighted <laughs> in the book when I read it. But I like right? it because. Um, the first one in particular with nothing is as good as it seems and nothing is as bad as it seems, because I think that really highlights that we we sometimes react to gravitate towards something that seems really good. Like, oh, this is this feels good or this must be good. So I'm going to lunge at that. And um, then the other thing, too, is when something seems bad, if we think that it's as bad as it seems, then we tend to react by like running away or avoiding like it's a pretty unhealthy pattern to be like let me gravitate towards this because it's good let me run away from this because it's bad yes and that's why i like more and more the like mindfulness meditation work with like the urge surfing like learning to you know ride the waves and not try to fight them or run away from them if you try to tackle a wave it's going to knock you down if you try it to sure swim, <laughs> if, you, if you try to swim away from it, it's gonna push you back even further. Like, it's more about managing those those waves and just just maintaining more. Which I think that's what that quote reminds me of. Yeah, is not to try to yeah. go too much into something that we think is just all good because even good things can have consequences. Even stuff that feels good can have a, a ripple effect. And same thing sure. with like things that we run away from. Like if we keep running away from something that's uncomfortable, there's a lot of things that we're never going to be able to actually obtain or or yeah, achieve. no, you you won't um you won't overcome whatever the obstacle is. You know, I I um there's a place in there where I talk about uh burning bridges. And and I said, you know, I said most people have heard throughout their life, don't burn your bridges. And and my philosophy is burn every damn one of them. And 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 I don't mean personal relationship unless you want to. But what I do mean is that is that people um, in the back of their mind, they have like a plan B or an escape hatch. And so what happens is when you hit that obstacle that seems so insurmountable, you know, if 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 you have this plan B or this escape hatch, the temptation to do that becomes so great. And it's the reasons why most people don't really realize their dreams. But if you if you burn that bridge behind you so that the only path you have is forward, then then you would be amazed through perseverance, through your create creativity, how how you can get over that wall or around the wall or through the wall, but you get over that obstacle. And when you look back later in your life, even though it seemed insurmountable at that time, when you look back, it's like, okay, that was a bump in the road, you know, but it's, it's, it's really, and I think, you know, I think if, said, if somebody said, well, what's the secret to your success? I, I would sit there and say, you know, I just kept on putting one step in front of the other step. I just kept moving forward while other people kept on falling off and, and it worked for me and yeah, worked well. Yeah. I think that um, brings me up to uh, one of the parts that I liked a lot was when you kind of went over like the, the mantras, the leadership and all that with like some important, valuable things overall that you learned. And one of them was like step up so others can step in. You know, I really liked that idea that like, as you kept moving forward, you were, you were stepping up, you, you kept moving into that, but that also allows other people to step in because now you're vacant from that spot. And I think I've learned to look at that, not even just from like a, an employment or like workplace 
type mm. thing. But I also think that that applies to other areas in life as well for for us to step up so that other people can can really step in. Yeah. You know, um, as a leader, it was important for me to be visionary and to and to have a vision and then to have a mantra that I could group everybody around and, and, you know, and get, and get excited about. And, you know, in order to do that, you, you have to have influence. And, and in order to have influence, you got to have two things. One, you got to get results. You know, if I'm saying, Hey, follow me and I keep on showing somebody failure, they're not going to follow me. So, you know, I've got to get results, not all the time, but I've got to get results. And the second thing is that people need to understand that I really care about them. Not, not because of how it makes me look, but because I really care about them, their family, their success. And so when, when you set up these mantras, it's like a rallying cry. And in this case, we needed to grow the company and we needed to grow that, that leadership level. And the only way we were going to be able to do that is that if, if, if you took the step to take forward, then it allowed the people underneath to, to move up, you know, and, and I would hear all the time, Roger, you know, I just don't know if I'm ready for it. And, and my answer is, listen, I don't think you're ever going to be ready for it. You know, there wasn't anything I was, I wasn't a natural born salesperson. I wasn't a natural born leader. I wasn't a natural born CEO. These are all learned behaviors. You know, in fact, as a salesperson, when I would start to close, use my closing line, I would get so nervous that the back of my neck would start to shake. And I thought people thought I was having a seizure. I mean, I was so scared, but, but I did a lot of it. And I got a lot of it. I got confidence in it and, and, and I practiced it. And so, um, you know, I, I was able to do it, but it wasn't like I was born with it. It's because I learned the behavior and then I practiced it over and over and over again. I think that connects too with like, with, I think I hear that a lot of times with some people who are like not ready for change or not ready for recovery. Like, I, there's nothing I can tell people that's like, oh, these are the benchmarks that means you're ready. Like, I don't think there ever is a point where someone's going to be completely ready to step up in these in these ways. But part of it is to do that, to to experience it and learn from it. And that's why, like, it takes it takes multiple attempts sometimes to do it. I don't expect anyone to get recovery right the first time. Right. Like that, that That's that's. <laughs> very challenging to do. Um, so I think that gets, I think that gives people some grace to themselves that there is no, I have to be in this, this perfect spot ready right, to step up or to make this change. But there's just like a willingness to, to try and to, to make that effort to do it and realize that there's going to be still ups and downs. Like you said earlier, just getting sober doesn't just make everything fantastic you know it's right it it sounds like it on a commercial like i tell people all the time like as as like treatment providers and stuff like we make it sound like oh get sober and everything's gonna be okay like the chains of addiction are no longer gonna hold you back and like everyone's gonna support you and it's like yeah sometimes like when you get sober um it's miserable yeah yeah exactly um exactly you know that's so funny because um when i first got into leadership i would get so frustrated like i'm trying to train the salesperson and he's not getting it or she's not getting it and i get frustrated and and i remember one of my mentors is sitting there going roger why are you expecting that they're going to get it on the first time? You didn't get it on the first time. Yeah, it took you several times. Why is your expectation? And how dare you get frustrated with this person because they haven't gotten it in the first time? Say it over and do it over and do it over and do it over and finally they'll get it. So, yeah, I exactly what you're saying. You know, just because you go into rehab, there isn't like, 
okay, that's it. Uh, you know, life's rainbows from this point on. It's, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's constant. And and you know what? 35 years later, it's not like I sit there and go, oh, I'm so strong. I'll put myself in a position to, uh, you know, to, 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 to see somebody snorting coke or do it. You know, I'm, no way. And that's a lot of years have passed. So... Yeah, it's a constant struggle. Listen, I wish, I wish I never had it. I wish I wasn't, but I am, and I was, and and I will continue to be. And that's just you know my cross to bear. I'm curious to know one of the things I also saw was um, conventions, and part of what you talked about was recognition is an equally big motivator. And I I really want to get your perspective on someone that worked with a lot of people, you know, led a lot of people, motivated a lot of people. You're also in recovery that that's, that's sometimes a hot topic in the addiction and recovery world about like rewarding and recognizing with, with people in recovery, like you're saying with the 30 day or 90 day or yeah. Like sometimes it just, it just kind of goes back and forth on like, Oh, like if you reward someone that could be like a trigger, um, contingency management is a very evidence-based um, modality that's shown to be effective in, in helping with things like cocaine use and even like alcohol. Like this person mm-hmm. does these things, they get like a small like reward, like a anything from like a $5 gift card to like a $10 gift card, like if they do certain things. But we see a lot where there's resistance to it because... Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they'll go use that money and they'll relapse. Um, but rewards are used all the time in in, yeah. in life. Like we love it in everything else. Like if I was at my job and someone was like, oh, if you did this, you're going to get this reward or recognition. Like we are mm-hmm. very cheerful of that, but we are cautious or even stigmatizing when it comes to doing that for people with addiction. So I'm curious to know like what you think about that idea of like recognizing and even rewarding people when they, when they do things for their recovery or their to, to try to treat their addiction. Yeah. You know, all, all I know is that people, the majority of sales, I had 10,000 salespeople. Yes. They did it for the money, but, but, the majority were driven by reward. I mean, I can't be starving in the meantime, right? But if they were making a living and they were being rewarded and they were being seen among their peers as, as being successful, it feeds that, that piece of you that, uh, for me, you know, that self-esteem part that, that, you know, my self-esteem was obviously really low. And so, you know, the more awards I got, the more I felt better about myself, the more it, it like solidified that I could do the job. And, and I think people will work so hard for that recognition. You know, I don't know if it's good or bad. I just know that it's a part of human nature. And so, and so when we reward somebody with a chip, I don't know of anybody that got a chip and said, okay, my journey's over. Let me go, <laughs> you know, let me go relapse. I, you know, it was more, okay, I've got this chip and uh, okay. I may, if I made it 30 days, I can make it another 30 or I can make it 90 or I can make it a hundred. You know, if I got here, then I could do this. And, and um, even though, Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think that acknowledgement, I think that acknowledgement among the peers, I think that new people who are observing that and going, God, this guy was right there where I was 30 days ago. And now look at him and look at what, you know, I mean, I just think, listen, I'm a big believer in it. I, I think it gives hope. I think it it um, builds self confidence. 
I, I just think that, that it's that part of human nature that, that uh, tends to drive a lot of us. I think, and, the, uh, I think recognition, what stands out to me is like recognition is like the person feels like they're being seen. Yeah. As a, an individual, like recognition is like, I'm being seen for me when we like pay people for the work that they do. And we do all that, like we're paying a lot based on like their performance or like their job duty. So it's easy to get caught up into looking at like that. But I think recognition is that that difference in like someone feels that they're being seen as a person, as opposed to their work being like looked at, but more of just, me like i'm being seen yeah and i think that's important for people with addiction because let's be honest like addiction is something that usually people they don't want to be seen you know like they 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 <laughs> isolate they they, they don't hide want, sure yeah so part of it is I, I think it can be used for me what i've seen is just comes down to how people who use substances and in recovery are just treated differently you know, like they, yeah, they've done all this. So they've blown through all this. Like, what about my reward? Or what about this? And I, I think that's just a social stigma stereotype that we face. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask you because. Yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah, it's different in the corporate world. It's a whole different picture because in the corporate world, they're going, okay, here's your executive compensation. Da, 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 da. You know, you don't, that's your reward right <laughs> but but in my world in the sales world um no it was big and and listen i you know i still every once in a while i get a pat on the back and i've done some pretty successful things i mean we we uh you know we ran 10 percent growth for 10 years in a row in which you know corporations throughout the world weren't making, you know, even during the worst of times. So, you know, I always thought, yeah, and every once in a while I'd get a pat on the back, but I was going, man, you know, I did a really good job here. <laughs> Why isn't anybody saying good job? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I thrived on it. It was important to me because it was important to me. You know, I tried to make sure that everybody within my company you know, was getting the recognition. And it didn't mean it was it didn't matter if it was a salesperson selling insurance or a licensing clerk who did a real job good job on getting these salespeople licensed or, you know, everybody. It doesn't matter where you are and what part of the company, customer service, under doesn't matter. Everybody likes to be recognized and say, hey, wow, you're doing a good job. That's really, let's take let's take this department out for lunch because they're really doing some good stuff. That's just recognition. That's just and yeah. and and you know in in trying to wrestle with sobriety, you know, the more that you can get recognized for your for your sobriety, the more confidence you get, and and. I feel the better odds that, you know, that you have of staying sober, but I can stand the, I can understand the other side where they go, well, are you applying too much pressure? You know, I get it. I get it. I just don't subscribe to it. <laughs> now um, this first question, this first question I'm going to ask you is to see if it fits with the next one I want to ask. Are you, okay. are you retired now? I am retired. Okay. Yep. So, so this is, this is a good question. You went from addiction, working so much, and then all the traveling. I mean, I imagine a lot of all over the place doing things. And then it's become recovery and it's become retirement. I know a lot of people struggle with downtime. A lot of people struggle with, because uh, we talked about before, like, you don't really know how much time your use consumes you till you get sober and you see all that time you have left. Like you're not thinking yeah. about it. You're not planning it. You're not getting it. You're not using it. You're not recovering from it. Like all of a sudden there's a lot of time you have left and people can struggle with how to manage that downtime when it's not filled up with things. So for you, you had 
the addiction, but you also had a career that was occupying, I imagine, a significant part of your life. How was that transition into retirement, not doing as much? And in relation to that, that boredom that we know people in addiction can struggle with? That That is a great question. An absolute great question. So I had a really hard time, really hard time. Because listen, uh, American income and Liberty National, that was 100% of my time just about. It was the pie. I got my social, I got my, you know, the the, the monetary, I got, uh, you know, all aspects of my life were built around me being the CEO of these two insurance companies. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. I tell this story, usually like on New Year's, I would get, I don't know, 800 texts. Happy New Year, boss, you know, something like that. I think the second year after I retired, I got three texts. It was like, you know, it was such a shock to me. It was so, because all this, all of this was wrapped up. So, you know, I literally, I literally um, went and saw a therapist and I said, man, I don't know how to do this transition. And we literally took a pie chart, kind of just, Put the pieces of the pie, physical, spiritual, uh, you know, family, social, all, all of this, and then started to look at, okay, how do I do this? How do I, you know, how do I get the 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 charitable part? Because I was really in jo- uh, involved in philanthropy, you know, with the company. How do I get that part? My social, how do I build a new circle of friends? How do I, you know, get back into the community? I was very community based. How do I, how do I, you know, I moved. So now I'm in a new community. How do I do all these things that just was a part of my life? And, and I literally had to sit down and plan it. It's, you know, I, I tell this jokingly, but you know, I was used to giving traveling, giving a lot of speeches, right? And at the end of the speeches, you'd have you know, two, three thousand people applauding. I mean, it was a big thing, right? And I and I thought, okay, well, how am I going to get that part? Uh, who who's going to clap for me now? <laughs> and I I actually joined the community theater and started acting. You know, oh, wow. which was which which was great for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, you know, it got me on stage and, you know, feeling that part. But it also got me involved with other people, different people, you know, got me involved in the community again. You know, things that things that were important to me. And I just had to find other ways to do it. You know, I uh, joined some charity where I was driving the homeless to doctor appointments and stuff. So it's literally... It's literally reinventing yourself, and um, and it's not easy. And um, you know, as I said, I, I thirty five years later, I still keep that picture of me on all fours, you know, trying to look for a sliver of crack cocaine in the rug. You know, I don't ever lose that picture, and and I put that picture, you know, for, forefront in my mind especially during that transition, because, you know, there was a temptation out there for sure. Like, what do I do with my, who am I? What am I? You know, that was then, this is now, and now where do I go and what do I do? And uh, so, yes, tough, tough transition. The writing of the book was good for me because number one, it kept me occupied. But, but number two, I really got to, open up all these compartments that I had sealed, you know, way down deep inside of me and, and kind of go through them and kind of look at why I did things and what I did them for, you know, and, and I hadn't looked back at these things in years and years and years. I, I will tell you, Andrew, it puts you in a vulnerable spot. You know, it's like if I wrote a, uh, a fiction book and somebody, and I said to somebody, Hey, did you like my book? And they said, 
Not really. You go, okay, you know, it was fiction. When it's about your life and you go, did you like my book? And they go, eh, not really. It's like, wait, it's my life. The hell do you mean? So, so it definitely puts you in a vulnerable spot, put me in a vulnerable spot, but, but it was a good spot to be in. It was a good spot to be in. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, all these things I've learned, all these things I've been able to put into words is something that, that, you know, people, your audience can look at and, and go, okay, man, listen, I can, I can, there's a lot more out of life that I can get. And, and at this point, it really is only me stopping me and living in my past and my shame and my regrets instead of moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much like when I, when I first started reading it, as I kept going through, you know, trying to figure out where you, where you are in Carmen San Diego. (laughs) Yeah. Where's where's Waldo? Yeah. Where's Waldo at this time? But it, (laughs) it was so different in, in that perspective of everything that we're used to reading in addiction memoirs and stories about recovery where yours shed a different light on like what else was going on in your life and the, and the, the, the role that, that your work did have in, in you. And, Cause sometimes yeah. as I can say this as a, as a provider, there are times where we say, whoa, 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 like work, family, all that's got to take a back seat to your recovery. You got to, put all that aside, but your, your story did highlight a lot about what that did for your recovery, what that did for you to be able to make those changes and to make those decisions to like, if you didn't have all that, like who knows what would have happened to you, to be honest. True. I, mean, I, I think if, if you didn't get into your work and you didn't have those motivations and those, those, changes and all that like a lot of other probably worse things would have happened to you I, i'm sure you can't imagine what you would have done <laughs> yeah i mean i agree with that except here's the except what and it goes back to the retirement what i didn't have in my life was balance mm-hmm. i i didn't understand that you really can balance your family and you know and and all these different parts in your life and 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 still and still have the success that you want to have and i'm not saying it's like you know it's like you open up your own business well you better be prepared to put everything you got into it right although because you're everything in in that business in the beginning but eventually along the way you need to also find this balance in life where where you're rewarding yourself with other things that 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 help your life and help you spiritually and 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 everything else and um and i think that if i had had more balance in my life then when i retired it wouldn't have been so shocking it wouldn't have been so hard for me yeah, I think we get so, messages about like balance will come later. Once I take care of all this, then my balance will will this will lead to some balance further on versus like learning how to balance. Yes, right away. Balance is usually like an afterthought after things have become unbalanced. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's a, we have weird thinking on that. But yeah. Uh, so like let's talk about yeah. balance after you've fallen off a lot of times. <laughs> right. Like let's talk about balance after you've put so much into this and neglected this. Like let's talk about balance after you've had this all or nothing thinking in this part yeah. of your life. Instead of like developing balance early on it often comes after someone's balance has been noticeably impacted where this part of your life is neglected or this part of your life is just all about this. We, we should teach that and, and work with that much earlier on in our development than after we've already sort of made it very fallen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think this generation they they get it more 
you know, I think that, um, um, like my son, who's an attorney, and he's quite, constantly talking about, you know, quality of life and wanting to work where, you know, there's balance and so on. And I and I see it like in this new uh, regime of in, in leaders and in sales and, you know, where everybody's talking about, you know, balance and, and uh, spiritual and family and physical and all of this. And, you know, it, it seems that it's that do you see that or? yeah yeah i think there's there's no. not as much like run yourself to the ground and sacrifice everything for this one thing and then hope right that hope that everything else is still around years after when you are able to finally like retire or slow down like right i, I do think there is more of that like balance of like self-care family you know just things for that that it's not just about work that that works a, a part of it and works a big part of it i mean it's where sure. a lot, we spend a lot of our time doing it but not that work needs to be at the cost of everything else like there's a way to right. have a career there's a there's way a to, way to balance it yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a way to have yes. achievements there's a way to do all of that but still have um balance and and things for other areas in life not just that so correct i do correct. think that i do agree that i think that is happening more so now than than in the past yeah, yeah. so uh where where can they what's the best place for anyone listening to go get your book so uh you can go on amazon like i said it's under the most unlikely leader you can go on to my website, which is rogersmith.me. That's rogersmith.me. Uh, and it gives my bio. Uh, you can listen to some of the podcasts on there. And then uh, you can order my book on there also, which is convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. And um, I, I really want to thank you for, for joining the book, The Most Unlikely Leader is... It, it's great. And it shares so much of a, a different perspective than, like I said, some other books that I've read in memoirs about addiction. I think when people open it up and start reading it, they're going to get that feel and that sensation as well. And the idea that this is also about becoming a leader in other areas in life. Um, Correct. Yours, yours was shown and discussed with your story of, of insurance and everything you're able to do there. But I think a lot of people are going to resonate with this idea of uh, I've I'm probably looked at as an unlikely leader or I'm the unlikely achiever. And this sort of kind of destroys that mentality of thinking. Yes. 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 Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So thanks. Thanks again for joining uh, the Good. podcast. Good. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. It was an honor.